Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. And I want to thank Jim for giving us a one-time donation through support.greatdetectives.net. You can also become a Patreon sponsor. Support us monthly at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for us to take a listen to the second Night Beat audition, this one with Frank Lovejoy. Uh, the audition date, January the 13th, 1950, and the title is The Ted Carter Murder Case. Lucky Stone is the name. I'm the guy that writes that column that's buried somewhere in the middle of your examiner, called Night Beat. They call me Lucky for the same reason they call a fat man slim. Because the best you can hope for on a job like this is chronic bronchitis, rings under your eyes, and the fact that you're awake when regular folk are asleep. Sometimes the worst happens to you. A story grabs your heart and shakes it until it hollers uncle. A corpse in the dark alley is the business at hand. In the big city, a dead man is a pretty impersonal thing. But this one I had a special interest in because they wanted me to identify it. Night Beat stars Frank Lovejoy as Lucky Stone. same familiar ammonia smell stinging my nostrils, that gleaming tile, that cold, empty feeling you get, the way the morgue always swipes across your face like the tail end of a nightmare. The police lieutenant was waiting for me. He nodded for the attendant to pull back the white sheet. Well? Yes, that's him. That's Ted Carter. Okay, that does it. We had to get positive identification. You were the only one we could reach. Sorry I had to get you out of bed. Oh, that's all right. Guess that winds it up. Be seeing you. Thanks for the trouble. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Huh? What do you mean, be seeing you and thanks? What happens now? We go back and catch up on our sleep? I know you had a friendly interest in the kid, Lucky, but he got it the way all hoodlums eventually get it. He was going straight and you know it. You're getting sore about it. Who did it? Who killed him? Lucky, go into any book joint, any gin mill, look in any back alley, any flop house. Whoever you find there could have done it. Take your pick. Take my pick? Nobody talks, nobody remembers anything. In my book, it's murder by person to person's unknown. Just like that? Just like that. Maybe for you it's that way, but not for me, Lieutenant. I've known that guy since we were kids. I was lucky and he wasn't. I talked him into going straight and now he's dead for it. It's crazy to think that way, Lucky. Okay, it's crazy. Somebody didn't like the idea of his going straight. And if I don't find out who it is, I'm going to start having some lousy dreams, Lieutenant. 
And I'm a guy that likes to sleep sound. I walked away from the lieutenant like he had the smallpox and I'd never been vaccinated. When I hit the street, it was raining. The sky was gray and there was a cold chill in the air. I waited for a cab thinking that the first time I hated this city, I hated it because somewhere in that rain was Ted's killer. What was he doing now? Sleeping? Having his morning coffee? Waiting for the first editions to come out and see how well he'd done? He'd have to look hard to find anything about Ted. Page six, ex-hoodlum found shot, period. When you're an ex-anything, that's a nice way of saying your dead brother lied down. When a cab showed up, I went over to see Ted's girl, Joan. As soon as she opened the door, I knew she'd found out. Her face looked pinched and pale, and her eyes were red like she'd squeezed out the last tear. Lucky, why did it have to happen like that? I'm sorry, Joan. You didn't go down to... No. No, I couldn't. I understand. Who do you think did it? I don't know. He told me he was all through with the racket. Well, what was he doing? Who'd he been mixed up with? He never told me anything. I never asked him. I believed him when he told me he was going straight. I'm going to find out who killed him, Joan. Look, Lucky, you and Ted lived in different worlds. He wouldn't want you to get hurt because of him. This is for the police, Lucky. I'm sorry. The police aren't interested. Well, then why should you... Because he followed my advice and now he's dead. Now, who was the last guy he worked for, Joan? Who got sore when Ted decided to go straight? I don't know, Lucky. I don't know. Joan didn't know. I went around to the old haunts, his former friends. They didn't know. The district attorney didn't know. The cops didn't know. Ted had kicked around in this city among all these people for 28 years. And now, suddenly, it was like he'd never lived at all. Then I remembered a little item from his old life. A little item with baby blue eyes and red hair. Laverne Clare. He'd gone with her before he met Joan and even after he'd met Joan. I know he'd kept sneaking back to Laverne like a drunk trying to decide whether to spend his last coin calling Alcoholics Anonymous or buying a glass of Muscatel. I went looking for Laverne. She had the number four spot in one of those five times a day shows on the untidy side of town. When I got there, I had to wait until the fleshy part of the entertainment was over. And then I went to her dressing room. Now, Ted uh, spent a lot of time telling me how crazy he was about you, Laverne. Yeah? He's a sweet guy. Ted was all right. He liked to tell me about the way you looked when you danced. Yeah, sure. Where's my drink? That bottle there. Pour me, will you? Oh, sure. Say when. I'll be when. Here you are. Thanks. Who do you think killed him, Laverne? Look, Mr. Stone. You're a nice guy. So why don't you go back to your office and write your column? About pretty things, Mr. Stone. Nice, harmless things. You don't want to get mixed up with Bailey or with that guy, Jerry. Bailey? I didn't say Bailey. Oh, so it's Bailey. The character that parlays pinballs into diamond stick pins, number rackets, Bailey. So Ted knew something in here. No, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say anything. Get out of here. Right away. You understand? Oh, yes. Yes, I'm beginning to understand. 
So I had myself a lead, George Bailey. Only it was like going fishing with the hope that you'll be lucky enough to catch a trout and all of a sudden look who's eating your worm, Moby Dick, the whale. Before I told anyone else, I thought I'd go back and see John. I think I know who killed him, John. You do? I'm not positive, but it's a beginning. Who? George Bailey. Know him? Bailey? Who told you it was Bailey? You're getting pale, Joan, so you think it was Bailey, too. Listen, Lucky, stay away from Bailey. He's trouble. Yeah? I'll let you know exactly how much trouble. I'll see you later. Lucky. It's dangerous. Please be careful. The lieutenant told me anyone could have killed Teddy. Invited me to take my pick. I'm going over and see that cop. I've taken my pick. George Bailey. Lucky, you surprised me. You really expect me to arrest George Bailey? On what charge? He's mixed up with Ted's killing. You know it and I know it. Outside of this Laverne girl, I got nothing to go on. You have one shred of evidence pointing to Bailey? Arrest him on suspicion. Sweat it out of him. Now, wouldn't I look fine against Bailey's high-powered shyster lawyers trying to make an arrest stick because some drunkard dame shot her mouth off? Even then, she'd deny it if I put her up on the witness stand. So you don't want to touch Bailey? Look, get me one witness who saw him together. Find me one scrap of evidence, even circumstantial evidence. I'll arrest Bailey in a minute. You won't find anything. I know. I've tried. All you'll find is frightened people and blank walls. Bailey's had this town by the throat for ten years. No, I'm sorry, Lucky. I can't help you. But I couldn't stop. I was like a snowball. Somebody started rolling down a hill. I didn't know where I was going or what would happen when I got there, but I had to keep rolling. They've got a name for that. It's called a guilt complex, and I had it in Technicolor. Ted was dead because he'd believed in me. I couldn't forget that any more than I could forget my name. Then I remembered my column. Sure, why not? The little poems to the first Robin, the jokes about the smog, the stories of the happy winos that have to move over. I was going to work on Bailey in the only way I knew. And keep my fingers crossed that something would happen. What big shot racketeer sends for his aspirin every time someone mentions the back alley murder of Ted Carter? When is the district attorney going to get wise and change the address of Mr. B from a downtown penthouse to an upstate death house? to this, boss. Yeah? Stone's latest little offering. When are the police going to bring in the Carter killer? Let me see it. And if they don't know who it is, I'll give them a hint. Think of Daly and reach for the letter B. How long is he going to get away with that? Hand me the phone. Sure. Hello? I want Lucky Stone. You got him. I'll say it only once, Mr. Stone. Hmm? I don't like this kind of publicity. Oh, you must be Bailey. I'm asking you to lay off. Real polite-like, huh? That's right. Real polite. What's the good word, Mr. Stone? The good word? I got a whole sack full. You get a copy of the examiner first thing tomorrow, and you'll see him right under my byline. Now, listen, Stone. It'll be something like this. One of the local gendarmes is going to knock on Mr. Bailey's door with a warrant for his arrest. 
Okay, he doesn't want a preview. So let him pay seven cents. Well, that was more like it. So Bailey was beginning to squirm. Well, 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 on him it looked just fine. I worked late on the column that night, giving Bailey enough needles to sew a circus tent. I was feeling pretty good. That guilt complex about Ted Carter wasn't hurting quite so much. I unlocked my door and stepped inside. I didn't have to shut the door. It was shut for me. I've been waiting for you, Mr. Stone. <laughs> well, as long as you're here, make yourself at home. You're a wisecracker, ain't you? Like your friend, Ted Carter. What do you know about Ted Carter? Oh, he was a regular car. Okay, what do you want? My boss sent me over to take a look at you. Your boss? Mr. Bailey. And you, your little boy, Blue, huh? <laughs> yeah, a wisecracker, all right. Well, tell that boss of yours I'll be dropping around to see him for an interview. Uh-uh. Huh? He don't want it that way. He sent me to see you instead. Yeah? He don't like people who don't pay attention to his telephone messages. He thinks you're very nasty yapping all the time that he had something to do with the Ted Carter killing. So? So, like I said, Mr. Bailey don't like it. Okay, Buster, now get out of here. Not right now. Mr. Bailey wants me to teach you a lesson. For this blackjack... Oh. Mr. Bailey don't like smart guys. <laughs> Wisecracker. Nightbeat stars Frank Lovejoy as Lucky Stone. I woke up with a nice view of my ceiling. Sign outside the window flashed off and on. And every time it flashed on, it was like that punk of Bailey's with his blackjack testing his strength on my skull and doing fine. After a while, I crawled to my knees and worked my way over to the wall. And I climbed up the side of the dresser until I reached the phone. Operator? Operator, get me the police to... Ah, uh, no, no, never mind, skip it. All of a sudden, I didn't want the police in on this. I wanted this to be a private party. All of a sudden, I wanted to feel a gun in my hands. I washed up, changed clothes, and found a cab. It was a quarter to eleven when I reached Joan's apartment. I had to knock a long time before she came to the door. She was rubbing the sleep out of her eyes. Lucky? Oh, come on in. Thanks, honey. What happened to you? Surprise party by the same people who surprised Ted. Wait, I'll get some bandages. Now, that's not why I came. No? When Ted quit the rackets, uh, what did he do with his gun? He asked me to keep it. He said then I'd know he was on the up and up. Why? I want Ted's gun. What are you going to do with it? Uh, never mind. Just get me the gun. No, Lucky. You'll only get The me... gun. The gun. It's in the bottom drawer of the dresser. I'll get it. Crazy. Here. Thank you. 
Where are you going? Wentworth Towers. Bailey has an office there. Lucky you are crazy. You're walking right into a trap. They'll kill you like they killed Ted. Well, if I don't go, Jerry will be coming around again. You see, the way it's no good. At least this way, I stay win. Wish me luck. Luck? Oh, you fool, you poor fool. You'll end up like Ted with five bullet holes in your back. When I got to the Wentworth Towers, it was almost midnight. The streets were deserted. The only sounds were distant traffic. The front door was locked, and the only light in the lobby came from the night elevator. An old man sat inside the elevator, dozing. I pounded on the window. He reluctantly got to his feet and started walking toward me. He snapped the lock and pushed open the front door. Nobody in this building now. All the offices are closed. Uh, Not all of them, Pop. I have an appointment with Mr. Bailey. You have? Yeah. Okay, I'll take you up. 34th floor. Come on. As the elevator rose, I dipped my hand in my coat pocket. The cold touch of the gun had the comforting sensation of a boy holding his father's hand. The elevator came to a stop on the 34th floor. The doors opened, and little boy Blue stepped out of the darkness. He had a gun, too. Only his was in his fist. Take us downstairs, Pop. Sure thing, Jerry. I want to see Bailey. We know, but Bailey don't want to see you. And keep your hands out of your pockets. Let me see what you've got there. A gun. Pretty nice. Thanks. Don't mention it. I'm always handing out souvenirs. You go out first, Pop, and open the street door. All right, Jerry, I'll get it open for you. Is everything all right, Pop? Is it all clear? Why don't you go out there and see? Here, I'll help you. Hey, what? I shoved the kid out. I pushed the lever that slammed the door shut and started the elevator going up. I could see little lights blink on the instrument panel as I passed each floor. Bailey was on the 34th floor, and I was getting closer. 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 All of a sudden, the elevator stopped. I was stuck between the 11th and 12th floors. I didn't have to be a mastermind to figure out what had happened... Little boy Blue and the old man had gone to the basement and switched off the power on my elevator. They'd bring up one of the other elevators and come after me. I began to feel like an animal trapped in a cage. Then I noticed the little door on top of the elevator. I climbed up on the old man's stool. I pushed the door upward and grabbed the sides of the opening. And I started pulling myself out. And now I was standing on top of the elevator, hanging onto a greasy cable that ran down from the roof of the building. Far below, I heard the other elevator with Jerry and the old man start climbing. I leaned forward to reach the door of the 12th floor. I couldn't reach it. The other elevator was coming up fast. As I lunged forward again, their elevator stopped at the 11th floor. I was trapped good. But as long as I was between floors, they couldn't get to me either. Little boy Blue figured it that way, too. 
how are we going to get his elevator down here so we can get at him? Uh, you wait here. I'll go down to the basement and get him down to the 11th with the emergency train. All right, but hurry. <laughs> It was turning into a big evening. In a couple of minutes, I'd feel my elevator inching down toward the 11th floor and me going right along with it, perched on the roof. Then I heard that shattering of glass. That meant the kid was using his gun butt to break through the little glass window in my elevator door so that he could reach in and spring it open. Ah, nice figuring. Now, if I could figure a way to stay alive for the next five minutes, Mr. Einstein could move over. Where is he? How could he get out of here? Well, he couldn't. Jerry, look at there. Hmm? The trap door's open. He's at the top of the elevator. Yeah? Now, that ain't playing bad. <laughs> How many floors in this building, Pop? Thirty-five. I've always wanted to run an elevator. Yeah. Let's see how fast we can get to the roof. Shut up. Hold on to your hat, Stone. We were rising a mile a minute. All I could do was sprawl down and watch the roof of that building coming at me. Faster and faster. The top pulley singing around and around louder and louder. The roof was rushing to meet me like we were lovers from way back... Faster and faster, almost to the top. Almost! Now I know how those goats felt when that bomb went off at Bikini. The shock of the elevator smacking against the huge top springs shook me up like a bag of cement in a concrete mixer. But I was alive, which is always encouraging. Jerry stopped off on the 35th floor. Pop started taking the elevator down very slowly, and I was still sprawled out on the top of it, trying to get the cobwebs out of my brain. All right, Pop. You must be the original Indian rubber man, Stone. <laughs> You'd make a fortune in the circus. Oh, it's nothing at all. I owe it all to the heavy underwear. Come on, climb out here. Well, how can I refuse such a nice invitation? Especially when you're holding a gun. Come on, back up, Pop. Elevator! Wait! Wait a minute, will you please? Who's that? Uh, yeah, well, the cleaning women better put your gun away. Well, this is sure a break. I thought you'd be taking a snooze. All right, all right. Come on, get in. Yeah, let's all get in. It's hard to get an elevator this time of night. We rode down, the four of us. No one said anything. The cleaning woman was half dead on her feet, her head bobbing half asleep. Oh, that lovely, innocent, tired old gal was saving my life. So long as she was with us. I'll get out on the third floor, Pop. I'm going to the dressing room. Uh, three it is. Here you are, number three. Thank you. Good night, Pop. Good night, Pop. I get off here, too. No, you don't. This ain't the main floor. For me, this is the main floor. Stone! Come back here, Stone! I raced down the dark hall, past the cleaning woman who stared at me with her mouth wide open. In the distance, I saw what I was looking for, a little red sign that said stairway. My little pal was right after me. I got to the stairs, started down four at a time. He's right on my tail. You're not getting away, son! I had to get out of here fast. This party was getting rough. 
I reached the main floor. Instead of going through the lobby and into the street, I ducked behind a cigar counter. The kid raced by. He went out through the front door looking for me on the street outside. I looked at the indicator over the night elevator door. The old guy was still parked on the third floor. I went to the stairs again and down into the basement. I needed an elevator, and there were several parked there for the night. I commandeered one. I was getting to be a regular genius with these elevators. Well, this was going to be the end of the little game. I was finally on my way up to Bailey. Thirty-fourth floor. The building tapered off up here. Around the small square hallway were six office doors, barely visible in the pale moonlight. Bailey was behind one of those doors. I tried the first door. Nothing. Second door was locked. Then a telephone started ringing inside one of the offices. I hurried over to it. Locked. The transom was half open, but no light showed through. Then, as I was about to turn away, I heard... Hello? Jerry, where the devil are you? The lobby, you crazy fool. He's up here. Yeah, in the hall, just outside the door. Get up here right away. Don't take any chances. As soon as your elevator door's open, kill him. All right, move. Now, what are your plans, Mr. Stone? That was a good question of Bailey's. What was I going to do? I couldn't break into Bailey's office. I didn't have a gun. He'd kill me before I could turn the doorknob. The indicator above the night elevator door was blinking fast. It was on his way up. The kid was in it, and the instant that door opened, he'd kill me. Right then, I started thinking of Joan. Yes, it was beginning to look that way. The elevator had passed the 17th floor, the 18th, the 19th. The little lights were dancing like a string of shooting stars. That kid was coming up fast. I was beginning to feel those bullets tearing into my back. You'll end up like Ted with five bullet holes in your back. With five bullet holes in my back, his back. I'd fought my way 34 stories to reach Bailey, and now I wasn't thinking about Bailey. You'll end up like Ted with five bullet holes in your back. As the kid's elevator passed the 32nd floor, I started running for the elevator I'd brought up from the basement. I jumped into it and started down. I didn't want to kill Bailey anymore. I only wanted to get to Joan. Joan was waiting for me when I got to her apartment. She wanted the whole story, everything that happened. When I'd finished, I watched her relax a little. Then you didn't kill Bailey. No, Joan, I didn't kill Bailey. Oh. Police siren. Sounds like it's stopping in front of the house. Yeah. They came here sooner than I expected. Sooner than you... Lucky you've been lying to me. You did kill him. They've come to arrest you. You lied. I haven't lied, Joan. They haven't come to arrest me. They've come to arrest you. Me? For the murder of Ted Carter. What are you talking about? I didn't... Oh, but you did. You said the wrong thing tonight when I went out to get Bailey. What do you mean? You said I'd end up like Ted with five bullet holes in my back. How would you know about that? I... It wasn't in any of the newspaper stories. You never went to the morgue. 
There was no way on earth you could have known unless you killed him. Be right with you. That's the police, Joan. Any more questions? Yes. Don't you know what it's like to love somebody? I was willing to do anything for him. Scrub his floor, wash his clothes, give him a good home, anything. But he always kept going back to Laverne. The way I loved him, do you think I could let any other woman? All right, boys. All right, I'll let you in. I want you to know one thing, Joan. No matter what you thought, Ted really loved you. You see, Laverne represented his old world. But with you, he was going to have a new life. You'll remember that, will you? Okay, boys, she's all yours. the story of Ted Carter, murdered in the name of love. Okay, if that's what love does to you, I'll string along with Pinochle. <laughs> I'm just feeling low tonight. Because murder is only a symptom of what we're suffering from. The disease is selfishness and jealousy and greed. Too many of us have decided that the golden rule may have been all right for Grandpa, but nowadays the fashionable thing is dog-eat-dog. But then I think, how can that be? How can any of us hurt or hate or even be indifferent to those around us when in this whole crazy world all any of us ever really have is each other? Well, that does it for tonight. I called Bailey and I told him I'd made a mistake, but then he'd made him too, so it was a Mexican standoff. It's a nice job. You finish up, you yell for the copy boy, you grab for a second-hand sandwich and a third cup of coffee, and then you start all over again. Because tomorrow, you've got another night beat. You don't know where the story's coming from or where it's going to take you, but you know it's somewhere out there in the dark waiting for you. I'll tell you all about it next week. Copy boy. Beat is written by Larry Marcus and produced by Bill Karn. Music is composed and conducted by Frank Worth. Frank Lovejoy can currently be seen in the Motion Picture Academy nomination, Home of the Brave, and the Universal International production of South Sea Sinner, and is featured in the forthcoming Warner Brothers production, The Rock Bottom. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Hi, this is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site. We stream live OTR Westerns 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, along with putting out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old-Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. Welcome back. 
Well, in um, many ways, this is a much improved uh, version and a lot closer to uh, not beat as fans have come to know and love it over the years. Though there are still some key differences. And of course, the change of director with uh, Bill Carnes taking over for uh, William Russo changes a little bit of the tenor. And the music, I think, is... Of course, it's the not beat music, but it's a lot, a very different feel from uh, what was played in the uh, Edmund O'Brien pilot. It's exciting and it's intriguing, and it's a very interesting score to listen to. And Lovejoy's uh, delivery really does change the whole nature of the uh, production. O'Brien's tended to be just very, very uh, tense the whole way through. And there's a little bit more of a softer side to the way that uh, Lovejoy plays it. Uh, some of the big differences, of course, are the name being uh, Lucky Stone. And, of course, the idea of Stone going after someone with a gun is a bit out there with the characterization of the character throughout the whole series. Still, this is a, a very strong pilot, and what set the stage for one of the more unique and memorable radio series of this uh, era in the early 50s. And we'll take a look at uh, episodes that came to air starting next week. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.